0: Turn in your Bibles to Revelation 20. I'm going to read uh, all all the verses. It's 15 verses. However, I don't know if we'll be able to get to the end of this. We'll see. Um, It's on page 1040 if you're using or utilizing a pew Bible. Again, it's Revelation 20. So this is verses 1 through 15. This is God's holy an inerrant word so let's give careful attention to it. The Word of God says, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand a key to the bottomless pit, and a great chain. And he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who was the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years, and threw him into the pit, and shut it and sealed it over him, so that he might not deceive the nations any longer, And when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for their battle, for battle. Their numbers like the sand of the sea, and they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it, from his presence earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books For this opportunity to open your word, to grow in the knowledge that you have ordained for us to have concerning our Lord. We ask that you would speak to us now by the power of your Holy Spirit. Illumine our minds and our hearts. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, I'm just going to go right into this text. This is, again, one of the most controversial, in one sense, um, uh, text that there is in terms of having different camps all over the place. Um, so I am going to separate this in four overarching headings. I'm just going to go right into it, and I'm definitely going to touch on the first two, and if you want to definitely hear the third and fourth, then come to the Sunday school class that I'll be teaching on eschatology this coming summer, <laughs> all right? So I am going to break this down first into what I call the, the thousand-year dilemma, and then secondly, the reign of the saints. The third one uh, is a defeated enemy, and the final is the final judgment. That's the way this is broken out into. Now I wanna first uh, look at the, first, the thousand year dilemma. Why'd I call it that, you ask? Well, the Oxford Dictionary defines the word dilemma as a situation in which difficult, a difficult choice has to be made between two or more alternatives. When we look at uh, this passage that is in front of us, we're faced with three prevalent modes of interpretation. You have really smart scholars that are going around and, all, and, 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 and uh, adopt three different modes when it comes to looking at this. Um, you know, when I was in seminary, I had a professor and he said, uh, he would say, and I'd never forget this. He said, you know what, when we get to heaven, we're going to find out that we were wrong about a whole bunch of stuff. And then he said, but if I thought I was wrong, I would change my mind. And, you know, I've always lived by that. That's where I stand on this particular issue. So as we look at this again, and this, there's three prevalent uh, camps here, as I said. The first one, the premillennial camp, and that view is uh, that camp is broken into two camps. The historic premillennials, uh, they believe that any doctrine of the millennium must be based on the New Testament and be consistent with Christ's present reign. They believe that there will be two bodily resurrections separated by the the thousand years that you see in this text. The resurrection of the righteous when Christ comes again, and then the resurrection of the unrighteous after the thousand years. After that, there will be an eternal state that will be instituted. Now, you need to understand or know that We had church fathers that actually embraced this. Irenaeus, Papias, Justin Martyr, Tertullian, and Hippolytus. All of them embraced that. Now, here in the 19th century, we had a dispensational pre-milled position. And for them, they hold that there's a radical distinction between Israel and the church and that all prophecies must be interpreted. These are the ones that hate anyone who believe anything else. I mean, and this is the most prevalent position. This is what you'll see on television, on the radio, anything like that. All prophecies must be interpreted literally. Prophetic promises to the Old Testament Israel must be literally fulfilled in the physical nation of Israel, not in the church. They view the millennium as the climax of God's dealings with Israel, and they hold that Christ will actually have two second comings, The first one, which they they call the pre-tribulational rapture, uh, and it's only for the church. The church will leave the earth and meet Christ in the air and and then go back with him to heaven. And later after the great tribulation, Christ will physically come with his church to the earth and and set up a thousand-year kingdom in which Israel is dominant. They also believe that there will be three resurrections. The first for the righteous dead at the rapture. The second at the end of the tribulation for those saints who have died during the tribulation. And the third at the end of the millennium for the unbelievers. After that, there will be a great rebellion which Christ will overcome. And then he will institute the eternal state. So that's dispensational premillennialism. Hey, if you hear me struggling with that word... Just understand that I need to ask other people from St. Croix if that also tongue ties them. <laughs> All right. So the post-mill position, uh, technically, any belief. Oh, just, but let me just go back to pre-mills, okay? Again, this is the most prevalent uh, position, and it, would, it wouldn't surprise me to know that maybe even the majority of people in here uh, might be pre-mill. I don't know. So what I'm saying is the same thing that I just said to talked about when I talked about uh, the seminary professor and what he said and how I've adopted that posture. And one, here's another thing that he always said. He said, you know, before you argue with other people about their position, make sure you know it as well as they do. And, and, and when you do that, you can show a level of humility and understanding concerning where they're coming from and, and move along in that uh, posture. So anyhow... Back to post is technically any belief that Christ will come after the thousand years is postmillennial, uh, as, as popularly used. However, postmillennialism is the belief that the millennium is a future discrete period of time of unprecedented Christian influence in the world, that is, a golden age. Folks that who adopt this position just think that. The church is going to influence the world. The world is going to get better and better. And then Christ is going to come. So based on the work of the church and the Holy Spirit in the world, uh, that gradually Christ will return after things get gradually better and better. Christ will then come again and receive the kingdom and initiate the eternal state. And now you have the millionism position. uh, And millionists believe that the thousand years is a symbolic reference to the entire period between Christ's resurrection until shortly before his return. That period will be characterized by the spread of the gospel, but also by the spread of sin. There'll be no golden age before Christ's return, and Christ's return will result in the general resurrection, and judgment will usher in the eternal state. Now, this last position if I didn't say it already, is the position that I hold to and the grid from which I will be addressing or speaking to you this evening. So let me reiterate that I'm going to start by addressing this 100-year issue. So we're looking primarily now at the first three verses. Then we're going to see the saints reigning, us reigning with Christ. That's not the way some other views see that. And then a defeated enemy and a final judgment if we get to that, okay? So first, the 1,000-year dilemma, and in <clears throat> hearing me speak of the various camps just now, one thing you should have picked up on is, is that some interpret the words "a 1,000 years literally, while others do not. So the question is, who's right? And this is an important point to cover because one's understanding or perspective concerning this issue influences the way one sees or interprets a whole bunch of other stuff. Another point that also needs to be made before we go any further is that those who assert that the thousand years is literal, the pre camp, also say it's chronological, meaning that the book of Revelation is laid out in a chronological order. As you go from chapter to chapter, this happens, and then this happens, and this happens, and it's order in that sort of direction, Okay where one event follows one another, with respect to being literal. So with respect to being literal, let me look at that first, okay? They look at this first verse, and they say that the thousand years, it's mentioned five times, and it has to be literal. You have to, to see it as literal. But here's the thing about this. This is apocalyptic literature. So in apocalyptic literature, you use symbols, you use signs, you use images, and so on and so forth. And right here in this very passage, let's look at, look at verse 1 and 2. It reads, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. Now, my question to you is, is the word key here Literal. Is there a literal key that this person has? And is there a literal great chain? Is Satan able to be chained with a literal chain that you and I would envision? Is Satan a dragon? Because what I read in scripture, and my understanding of scripture, is that Satan is a fallen angel, not a dragon, right? Is Satan a serpent? No, he's not. He's not crawling around his belly, none of those things. So if those things, right, and it doesn't say, the text doesn't say, they look, it looked like a key, or it was like a great chain, it doesn't use that kind of language that said it was similar to or like. It says it straightforwardly. A key, the key, a great chain, he sees the dragon, that ancient serpent. So if those things can be symbolic, if those things can be imagery, How come the thousand years can't be imagery, also? Okay? So it's saying that a thousand years, uh, that the thousand years must be interpreted as literal, then, while not saying the same thing about the key, the chain, the dragon, and the serpent. Is that a consistent application of the principle being espoused? Again, the text doesn't say they were like. And I'll be reminded that this book, again, uh, contains apocalyptic literature. I just mentioned what that is. And so now going forward, let me talk about this issue of chronology. You know, the, the issue where pre say that, oh no, it, it's, it comes, the book is laid out, this chapter, this chapter, this chapter, this seal, that seal, that seal, and it's in order. First this happens and then this happens. Well, let, let's, let's, let's talk about that for a second. So those who argue for literal under, uh, uh, understanding, of the millennium, saying it's a thousand years. By the way, that millennium comes from the Latin word millennia, which then is where you get a thousand, all right? So, a thousand years, they also assert that this chapter chronologically follows chapter 19. However, when one looks at chapter 19 and particularly verse 13 and 14, one hears these words. The armies of heaven are reared in fine linen." white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a, iron, with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Now there, as you just heard in chapter 19, As a consequence of the second coming of the Lord, divine judgment has been unleashed on the nations. But then we get to our text, and in verse 3 we read that Satan has been bound so that he would not deceive the nations. So if this is chronological, 19 and then 20, and the nations were destroyed in chapter 19, then who is being kept from being deceived in chapter 20? They're already gone from the scene. The unbeliever's are already gone from the scene. So, so how is that possible unless it's a recapitulation or retelling of the same story? So there are many more, several more instances uh, like this that, could, that I could point out uh, in chapter 12, chapter 16, 20, 19, all retelling of the same instances. It's sort of like watching a movie. I remember I had an assistant pastor one time. Um, that I was at the church that I used to be in and we were going through revelation and he talked about the Star Wars movie Rogue One to explain this recapitulation thing that I'm talking about and he he explained by using that last big war scene that they had there was a scene where there was a fight up on a the tower there was a scene where there was a fight down on the ground there was a scene where the aircraft the, the crafts that were flying all there were like different six different scenes they were all occurring at the same time, and the cameras were panning from one scene to another scene to another scene. The situations looked completely different, but what you were having was a retelling of different accounts from different perspectives. In other words, the camera lens was aiming from a different angle. It's kind of it Also, we have four Gospels, and if you look at the four Gospels, you see that they're speaking from different angles in the same way. And so if that is the situation that you have, right, then what you have in chapter 19 is the same thing that you have in chapter 20. The addition in chapter 20, what's added through the camera lens in chapter 20 is the defeat, the final defeat of Satan. But the defeat of Satan, you have the defeat of the beast and the false prophet in eighteen, 17, 18, and 19. And now you have the defeat of Satan. But guess what? That defeat didn't take 1,000 years from, the, from that point. All three of them were defeated, the unholy trinity were all defeated at the same time uh, as scripture points out, okay? So for the sake of time, let me move on, and instead of, let me now put forth what those in the million camp, a Millennial camp would state concerning the two assertions that I just noted. First, Amills assert contrary to what stated about them, that they do believe, we do believe in a millennium. However, they just believe that it's a realized state, meaning we are in the millennial age right now. They assert, I assert, and I believe rightfully so, that there are only two ages, okay? There's the present age and the age to come. There is not three ages, there is not the present age, the millennial age, and then the age to come, okay? there is no third age. When the biblical writers wrote on this issue, they wrote of a noun and of the finality of things associated with Jesus' return. Listen to the testimony of scripture, specifically Jesus and his apostles concerning this assertion that I'm making right now. Titus 2, 11 through 13. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self control upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. Matthew 12, 32. Whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. That's Jesus speaking. Matthew 13, 37 through 43. The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvests of the age and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The son of man will send his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers. Now, in the millennial, or, or in the millennial age, for people that say there's one of them, there's no, there's no evil or there's supposed to be people who are not saved. I'll get back to that. So now, if you're not saved and sin comes from in you, not out of you, how are you able to live in a perfect environment? So I'll get back to that, okay? But then 42. The son. Of, let me go by to 41. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace in that place. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of the Father. He who has ears, let him hear. So that's Jesus again speaking in Matthew 13. They're saying the present age and the age to come. Luke 18, 29 And Peter said, See, we have left our homes and followed you, speaking of Jesus. And he, that being Jesus, said to them, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God, who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. Ephesians 1, 19 through 21. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power? Toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Two ages mentioned consistently. So you see, the testimony of Scripture concerning now and the end of the age. That is the testimony of Scripture. So now let me pivot to one other significant issue or item associated with the thousand years mentioned in our text. That is the binding of Satan for a thousand years. After hearing the things that I just shared, a typical question that arises is, well wait a minute, if there's no literal millennial age, and and according to this text, and your description of the age we're in now, the present age, a.k.a. the millennium, as I'm asserting we are. Is Satan is bound. And so if so, Satan is bound, then how come you have all the evil we have around us? All the destruction, wickedness, and abounding lawlessness and, and deception. If Satan is bound, how is that so? Well, I'm glad you ask. The short answer is regarding salvation and God's elect. Satan's scope of deception is limited to those that are his. If you see it, if you look at the text, it tells you what his scope is. It tells you what his scope is. It says, "Who is the devil and Satan bound for the tabernet, and shut it up?" hold on, so that he might not deceive the nations any longer. He might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years are done. Right. So now. Think with me when, and I'm glad providentially that I had the opportunity to go through the book of Numbers, Deuteronomy, and Sunday school since I've been here. Think with me when God called his people, the Israelites, he called Abraham out of a a pagan land, pagan people, right? Then he raised up his own people. Name one other nation at that time that was worshiping God not one. Satan had the keys. Then Jesus came. And Jesus, as you always hear preachers saying, Jesus came and he took the keys to death, hell, and the grave. Isn't that what happened? He took the keys to death, hell, and the grave. And since at that particular point, right, Satan only has, Satan is not equal to God. Satan is God's pawn. Okay, So from the foundation of the world, God the Father promised God the Son a people for himself, okay? So how is that supposed to come to pass now? You have people around there that are saying that, you know, we can reject our God and stone and so forth. Those that are his elect can reject him. But you know what? Those that are truly his elect will not want to reject him when they understand and know and he regenerates their heart, you see. So the fact of the matter here then is... Like I said, what this passage is showing or saying is that those people, the rest of the people, the rest of the people in the nations, they are still subject to being deceived by Satan. But his power is limited. Okay? Listen to Mark 3.27 for some insight on this. It reads, no one can enter, enter a strong man's house. Remember, we're talking about the binding of Satan for a thousand years. No one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. And you know when this binding took place? I already mentioned it. When Christ rose from the dead with all power in his hand, seated on the right hand of God the Father. Listen to this. He rose with all power in his hand, and thus we now hear these familiar words. Notice how much authority was given to Jesus. All. Not some. Not sheer some with Satan. Not Satan can do whatever he wants. All authority was given to Jesus Christ. And so he could go out. And that's why right now we have nations, Gentile nations, all across the world who did not know Christ. And those entire nations have turned to Christ. Every tribe, every nation, every tongue, the gospel is going forth. That's why we can have the missionary budget that we have. That's why you can have a third mill doing the things that they're doing all around the world CETA, that we also support. All South America, North America, you name it. The gospel is going forth. And what did Jesus say? The gates of hell cannot prevail against me. I will build my church. Why? Because I have all authority. And so now, when you look around the world, do we not still see or do we not still think, my goodness, how could those people be that irrational? How could those people act that way towards God? How could those people do such and such? Why is there such wickedness in the land from those who are not God? You know what the answer is? Because Satan still has control over them. His scope is limited, but he's still operating in this millennial age. Okay? All authority was given to Jesus. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Because he, Jesus, has the keys. But as Psalm 1 says concerning those who are not his, the wicked are not so. But are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment. Nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the ways of the righteous. But the way of the wicked will perish. And again you look around the world. And all you see is irrational behavior. Lawlessness. And everything else. Because the enemy's footprint is still on them. There's three enemies. The world, the flesh, and the devil. Now it's interesting that, you know, I don't want to get involved in our strong argumentation and stuff. But the pre position now says that this is a literal thousand-year period. And during this particular period of time, um, you're going to have believers and unbelievers existing at the same time. In that perfect kingdom that Christ has. Maybe I should go back to that. But I need to just say one more thing concerning what we were talking about. Okay. At the end of verse 3, we find two words that poses some difficulties on the surface to this position. And those words are after that. Specifically, after the thousand days, he must be released for a little while. Wait a minute, Dean. If it's not literal, what's going on here? It specifies after that. After what? A thousand years? It says after 1,000 years, and then to compound the matter, verse 7 specifically says, and when the 1,000 years were ended, Satan will be released. What gives, Dean? That seems highly literal to me. Well, if you discount all the other evidence, uh, much of what I didn't even have time to provide for you here, and the scripture proof you have been provided with here, and then you take this verse in isolation and build on it from a presupposition in that sense, then yeah, you can come away with a literal thousand-year period. But if you're faithful to the text, if you're faithful to the way that Revelation is laid out, I would say that that would not be the case. Okay? That would not be the case. Now, let me pivot again and talk real quickly about the reign of the saints. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. Okay? Again, now this is what I was saying that some would say that at the end of the age, after the tribulation, there will be people who will enter into a literal thousand year period who still have a fallen human nature. And then you will have those of us who have been saved, and we will be ruling over them with Christ. Okay? Is that so? Is there any evidence in the Bible to point to a place where when Christ reigns, evil will still be able to exist? Some say, well, you know, the, the, the Satan is bound. He's, he'll be taken out of the picture. Let me ask you this. How many of you think you're that important that Satan needs to bother you? Don't you sin enough on your own? You need Satan to t- You think you need Satan to cause you to sin? I know I don't need Satan to cause me to sin. And I can tell you, I also don't think that I'm big enough for Satan to bother me. I think the demon that bothers me might be this big. He's shorter than me. You see. So we sin because we're sinners. And if a millions of us are in a kingdom that's supposed to be perfect guess what's going to be in that kingdom? Sin. Rampant sin. Right now, people illog- uh, irrationally attack Christ, irrationally attack God, and all of a sudden, they're going to be able to humble themselves in the presence of God? Really? Guess what? Adam didn't have our sin nature, and he sinned. How are you going to go into the, the, this thousand-year period you have a sin nature, unlike Adam, and you're going to be able to not sin. It doesn't make sense. It does not make sense. What makes sense is that God comes back in the way the text says from this present age and brings in the age, the kingdom age. He's already reigning right now in his kingdom. But I'm saying, period, and the last day, period, okay, so here in this particular text, if you're looking at it from this perspective, and now all of a sudden it's saying that these people are reigning with Christ in this thousand years, what's going on here? The short answer, because I got to get out of your way, is we are reigning with Christ right now. And let me take you back to the garden again. What happened to Adam and Eve in the day that they sinned? God told them in the day that you sinned, you will do what? Die. So when people look here and they say, What's the, what is the first resurrection? Right? So, oh, no, there has to be a different resurrection. That's when you first get things. No, no, uh. Uh-uh. The first resurrection that this text is pointing to, Beaky says it, Men says it, Boy says it. Everyone that, I, that I've looked at agrees with it, okay? This is a spiritual resurrection. The first resurrection is a spiritual resurrection. We have been brought to life we were dead, remember, in our sin, and we were resurrected, born again, new life. You get it? So the first resurrection, that is what it is. And so now we are reigning with Christ. You don't believe me? If you don't believe me, then tell me or explain to me why 1 Peter 2.9 says this. But you are a chosen race, are a royal priesthood, not will be. You are right now reigning with Christ right now, seated in heavenly places right now. No, that's what it says. A people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are whose? God's people. We are reigning with Christ right now. And the rest of this passage, the enemy will be defeated he was defeated in chapter 19 already, defeated in chapter 16 already. When you hear the terms gig, Gog and Magog, he's reiterating Ezekiel 38 and 39 where there was again a final battle. There's not going to be any gathering and any second thing and then a millennial reign or oh, after the millennial reign. No, there's one Satan is going to be released, which just means at the end of the millennial, Satan is going to be allowed to go out and do things really bad again. And guess who's going to be at the receiving end of that? The church. The church. So the church can sit around walking around saying that they're going to be raptured from persecution, but that's not what's going to happen. And the way you often hear it is, we will not experience the wrath of God. That's right. But Satan is going to be released, and the church is going to be persecuted. And if you don't believe it, look at the signs and the shadows of it right now. Right now, we're already being persecuted all around the world. Jesus himself said, if they persecuted me, they will persecute who? You. So even while we're reigning with him on this side of life, that is what our fate will be if we are in that period of time when Satan is released at the end. Again, I wish I could go on some more, but here's the thing that I I said that I hope that you heard. We are reigning with Christ right now. That should speak to how we should live. We should desire to walk in the beauty of holiness. We should desire to follow our chief, our commander-in-chief, who has given us directions. How do you say you love me and not do what I say? And we should glory in the fact that we are seated in high places with Jesus Christ, even right now. That he knows us intimately and perfectly, and he's walking with us, and we are being used as his hand and feet in the world right now. We are subject to being persecuted right now, but he who is in us is greater than he is who in his world. And so the peace that passeth all understanding in the midst of all things, it's still ours. But if you see the government going rogue, religious arena going rogue, that's the same thing that John, the Apostle John was talking about that happened right here. When he talked about the beast and the false prophet, government and religion both went rogue. And only the people of God stood in the midst of all that and were persecuted by both entities. Okay? So, again, quick plug again. Come to my Sunday school so we can really dig into this stuff, all right? Let's pray. Father, we we thank you for uh, this opportunity that you've given us to hear your word. Again, as I pointed out earlier, there's uh, folks... We're in different camps, uh, scholars who espouse the other views and uh, do so strongly. Uh, This is not an issue that should cause any one of us to break in fellowship or relationship with one another. But here's what we would ask you, Lord, that you would open our eyes and our hearts to your goodness towards us. That you would cause us to walk in the light of your word. That you would reflect your glory from us to others so that they might see who you are as we speak to them concerning your goodness, your grace, and all that you have uh, bestowed upon us. Father this evening as we looked at this millennial period and we have asserted that we are even now reigning with you, would you then enable us to reign with you in a manner that befits the king? Would you cause us not to sin against you? Would you enable us by your spirit, again, to walk in a manner that glorifies you, to use us in ways that will cause those that are lost in the dying world to be drawn to you, and cause all of us, no matter what position we hold on this, to be drawn closer and closer to each other in fellowship, knowing this one thing. No matter what position we hold, you hold the keys. You will reign And we are yours and will be yours. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.